Good morning, Crowd family, and happy Resurrection Sunday. I am so glad that you can join us today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 through 66. And Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 7 is today's text. Again, that's Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 through 66. And Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 7. Now, now for many people... Today is more about eggs, bunnies, and, and barbecues. But for the believer, for those of us who are saved, today is a celebration of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And listen, that single event, the resurrection, established the foundation of our faith. And without it, without the resurrection, our faith would be pointless, would be worthless, and useless. The title of my message today is Mission Accomplished. Everyone say that, Mission Accomplished. And you see, friends, Jesus came to earth with a purpose. He came to earth with a mission. And he was faithful, say faithful, faithful in accomplishing that purpose, uh, faithful in accomplishing that mission. Uh, Three points uh, in today's text. I want to give you three points uh, from today's text. And before I give you the first point, I want us to read verses 27 all the way through 49. But prior to that, Jesus already stood trial before Pilate. And then Pilate hands Jesus over to be crucified. So let's read verse 27 and on. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. Verse 30. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. Verse 31. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. Verse 33. They came to a place called Golgotha which means the place of the skull. And I want to stop there. Golgotha in Latin is called Calvary. And that place resembles the skull of a dead man. And it's just outside the gates of the city of Jerusalem. Now, this was a special and prominent place for the Jews. And you see, this hill was part of the same ridge which the temple was built. It was also the place where Abraham brought his son Isaac Uh, to offer him to God as a sacrifice. And that's in Genesis chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22, which has to be one of the the clearest Old Testament pictures of the sacrifice of God's son. And there, friends, we see a father willingly giving up his own son to die. What comes to mind is John 3.16. John 3.16, the first part of that verse, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his one and only begotten son. Let's read on verse 34. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Verse 35. Then they had crucified, excuse me, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Verse 36. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus the king of the Jews. And by the way, this was written in Hebrew, Greek, and also in Latin. Verse 38, the two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Verse 39, 
Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. Now, now I want to stop there. Jesus could have easily called an army of angels to come down and wipe out all of the Roman soldiers and carry him away, but he didn't. Why? Because, listen now, he came to die. He was destined to die. He came to do the Father's will. He came, listen now, get this now, he came to accomplish his mission. Verse 41, in the same way the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. Verse 42, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Now, I want you to listen. I want you to get this. He didn't save himself because he was unable, but because he was unwilling. And I want you to get this. Because he didn't save himself, he saved us. Let's read on. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. Now, this begs the question, why would, why would Jesus willingly go through, listen now, such torture, such shame, and death? Well, two reasons. Two reasons. First reason is this, to show us how horrible our sin is. To show us how horrible our sin is. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is what? It's death. That's how horrible our sin is. Sin is, excuse me, for the wages of sin is is death. The second reason is this, to show us how much God loves us. To show us how much God loves us. John 3:16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5:8, Romans 5:8, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did you get it? So let's read on, verse 43. He trusts in God, let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God, verse 44. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Now I want to stop there. In Luke chapter 23, verses 42 through 43. Luke 23, verses 42 to 43. It says that one of them repented. And God said, Jesus said to him, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Verse 45, verse 45. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, uh, darkness came over all the land. Verse 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema shabachthani, which is Aramaic, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, now why did Jesus say this? Well, since eternity, Jesus had enjoyed constant fellowship and relationship with the Father. But, but for a moment in time, he was separated from the Father. Got that? He was separated from the Father. He was forsaken and abandoned by the Father. Now, friends, this, was, this is the first time Jesus says, My God. And I want to tell you, friends, it was a cry of loneliness. At that moment, God was silent. The Father forsook the Son. And you see, as the full wrath of sin was placed on his son, God, got to get this, God was treating his son as if he committed every single sin by every single person. And I want you to watch this, watch this. At that moment on the cross, 
Get this now. God was treating his son as if he, listen now, as if he were to live your life and live my life so that he could treat us as though we had lived his perfect righteous life. That's called substitutionary atonement. He took my place. He took your place. He took my sin. He took your sin. He took the sin of the world. He suffered and died in our stead. I want you to write this down, 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah 55, verse 5a, Isaiah, excuse me, 53, Isaiah 53, verse 5a, Isaiah 53, verse 5a says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah 53, verse 6, Isaiah 53, verse 6, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now there's a lesson, here's a lesson. God will not leave us. Write that down, say that. God will not leave us, okay? He will not leave us. And friends, we we all know to some degree what it's like to be forsaken, to be rejected, to be abandoned, right? We know that. And some of you, listen now, have been rejected by your parents, by a spouse, by a boyfriend or girlfriend, by a friend. Some of you, parents, have been rejected and abandoned by your own children. And although we have our stories, and we do have our stories of rejection and abandonment, none of us can say, none of us can say that we had been abandoned by God. Listen, Jesus was forsaken so that you and I would never be forsaken. Don't you love that? Write this down, Hebrews 13, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5b. Hebrews 13, verse 5b says, He will never leave us, got to get this, nor forsake us. Matthew 28, verse 20b. Matthew 28, verse 20b. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So follow me here. He was forsaken that you might never be forsaken. He was abandoned that you might never be abandoned. He was deserted that you might never be deserted. He was forgotten that you may never or might never be forgotten. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, friends, he will never leave you. He won't. He will never leave you, okay? He will always be by your side. He will never let you go. And through the valley, he's there. Through the darkness, he's there. Through the trials, he's there. Through the pain, he's there. Through the uncertainties of life, he's there. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. God will never leave us. Can someone say amen to that? Let's read on verse 47. When some of those standing there heard this, speaking of when he said, uh, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, they said he's calling Elijah. Verse 48, immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with, with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah, Elijah comes to save him. You see, the Jews believed that Elijah was 
would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And the only way they would believe that Jesus was the Messiah is if Elijah would come and save him. So this brings us now to the first point. And point number one is this. Write it down is and say it. Redemption. Write that down. Say redemption. It's a great word. Say redemption. Look at verse 50. Verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Listen, when Jesus gave up his last breath, when when Jesus gave up his spirit, redemption had been secured. And friends, this was the claim, the claim of completion. John, the gospel, John chapter 19, verse 30, it says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Say that, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In the Greek, that whole phrase, it is finished, is to telestai. And it means it's paid in full, that the transaction has been completed, that the debt of the world's sin is paid in full, that the work of salvation is done. It was finished. It was over. Listen, church, this was no cry of despair, but of completion. This was a cry of fulfillment, a cry of victory. He's Jesus, the finisher, not the quitter. Listen, the completion of his suffering is finished. The goal of incarnation was reached. His work on earth was finished. Redemption was complete. He became the final ultimate sacrifice for sin once and for all. Someone say amen to that. Listen, friends, the blood of Jesus does for me and for you what we could never do for ourselves. And I want you to get this. He owed, listen, we, excuse me, we, we owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. In the Greek, the word redeem is ex a garazo. Ex a garazo. It's used of buying a slave's freedom. Amen. Redeeming us. So the person accomplishing our redemption is Jesus Christ. The nature of our redemption is it is a finished redemption. Follow me. It's a personal redemption. He redeemed the thief. He redeemed me. He redeemed you. It's a purposeful redemption. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. It's a substitutionary redemption having become a curse for us. Jesus took my place. And he took your place. He's our transfer. He's our substitute. And we have gone from being slaves of sin to now being sons and daughters of the living king. That transition comes only through redemption. Say redemption. Romans 3, 24. Write that down. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Listen, friends, his blood, say his blood. His blood makes us righteous in the sight of God and makes us worthy to go to heaven. Say redemption. Come on, say redemption. Point number two is reconciliation. Write that down, say reconciliation. If you're still with me, say amen. Reconciliation. Look at verse 51a. Verse 51a. 
At that moment, the curtain, gotta love this, of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Friends, at the moment Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple, 60 feet high, 20 feet wide, and four inches thick, was torn in half from top to bottom. So, so what's the significance of this? I'll tell you what it is. The veil stood as a barrier between the holy place and the holy of holies, and behind the veil was the mercy seat. And you see, once a year, only the high priest, the high priest could enter behind the veil, and it was on the Day of Atonement. And he would place the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat to atone the sins for the people. Now, I want you to follow me here. If anyone else besides the high priest ever entered the most holy place, the holy of holies, that person would be struck down. If the high priest entered on any day other than the day of atonement, he would be struck down. If the high priest came without the blood of a goat, he would be struck down. Listen, everything about the whole system screamed, stay away. It screamed, don't come near. Okay, You're not qualified to come on your own. And it was as if the temple itself was a giant roadblock, making sure that no one could come into God's presence uninvited. And you see, the veil stood as a reminder that man was separated from God by his sins and was unworthy to approach God. But when, but when Jesus died on the cross, say that, when Jesus died on the cross, say that, when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn in two, signifying that there is no longer a barrier between God and man. The way to God had been opened. Listen, now, now we can be brought into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you see, that day when Jesus died and the curtain was torn, three things happened. First of all, a barrier was removed. Write that down and say that a barrier was removed. The text says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The second thing that happened is this. A road was opened. A road was opened. A barrier was removed. A road was opened. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 20. Hebrews 10, 19 through 20 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by, get this now, by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Come on. If you're safe, say amen. Listen, friends, we have the right to enter God's presence directly. In the eyes of God, we have standing through the blood of Jesus Christ, listen now, to enter the throne room of heaven. We have, listen now, 100% unrestricted access to God isn't that awesome? We now can come anytime, anywhere, as often as we like, for any reason at all, and our Heavenly Father won't turn us away. The third thing is this, a hope was confirmed. A barrier was removed, a road was opened, and a hope was confirmed. A hope was confirmed. The tear in the curtain, listen now, means that our hope of eternal life has been confirmed by God Himself. Hebrews chapter 6, 
Hebrews 6, 19 through 20, Hebrews 6, 19 through 20, says we have this hope. There it is, this hope. As an anchor, say anchor, for the soul, firm and secure. Gosh, I love that. Firm and secure. It enters the, get this now, the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. This is what it says. He, Jesus, has become a high priest, a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So friends, this declares that we have an anchor for our soul that cannot be moved. It's a hope that we can rely on. It's, listen now, immovable. And it will not break, it will not bend or slip from where it's secured. Friends, listen now, we, we have fixed, fixed an anchor in heaven. And I want to tell you, we're like a ship that's been anchored in a safe harbor. You see, listen now, get this now, friends. Our security doesn't rest on our own feelings, experiences, or circumstances. Friends, listen now, we're secure because of Jesus Christ, our great high priest we have in heaven. Now, I want you to get this. Okay, we're not like a ship that's anchored down. Rather, we are, listen now, anchored up, not downward, but heavenward. Our anchor is lodged deep. Within the rock of ages, the endless one who was and is and is to come. Therefore, when hard times come, therefore, when the storms of life hit us, when the waves of adversity come crashing in, when the raging sea of sin and temptations rocks us, we don't sink. We don't give up. We don't fall away. Rather, we hold fast by the securing power of the anchor of our soul, who is Jesus Christ. We're anchored in the immovable throne of heaven. Someone please say amen. I want you to get this. Please get this. The curtain wasn't torn halfway. You see, Jesus doesn't meet you halfway. The curtain was torn all the way because Jesus meets you all the way. Listen, no more need for the temple. One greater than the temple was here. No more need for the priesthood. He's our great high priest. No more need for the sacrificial system. He offered one sacrifice for our sins forever. Redemption, reconciliation, and number three, you got it, right? You understand this, right? Resurrection. Say that, resurrection. Look at verses 51b through verse 66. 51b through verse 66. Verse 66. It says, The earth shook and the rocks split. Verse 52. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Man, did you get that? They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. How mind-blowing was that? Verse 54. When the centurion and those with him, listen, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they, they were terrified and exclaimed, they exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. 
So when they examined all that was going on before them, the centurion and all the other soldiers recognized Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 55, many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Verse 56, among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseus, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Listen, what they might have considered the ultimate tragedy was actually the world's greatest blessing. Here was Jesus paying for dying for their sins. Verse 57, as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who had himself who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Verse 58, going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Verse 59, Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, verse 60, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Verse 62, if you're still with me, say amen. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. 63, verse 63. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. Verse 64. So give the order for the tomb to be be made secure, to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body. And tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Verse 65. Take guard, take a guard, take, excuse me, take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. Verse 66. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, his death is not the end of the story. I'm going to say it again. His death is not the end of the story. We're now in chapter 28, verses 1 through 7. Chapter 28, verses 1 through 7. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Verse 2. There was a violent earthquake For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. The angel sat on it, which tells me that's a a posture, a posture of peace. The mission was accomplished. It's all good. Verse 3, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. Verse 4, the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. I want to stop there. The angel took care of two major problems for these ladies. He removed the two greatest physical fears they had as they made their way to the tomb. He removed the stone, and then he removed the soldiers. He removed the stone, and then he removed the soldiers. So there's a lesson. Here's a lesson. Okay, you ready? Here's a lesson. It pays to be on God's side. 
It pays to be on God's side. Someone please say amen. Listen, friends, when you're on God's side, when you're on God's side, then these big awesome angels are also on your side. They're on your side. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Hebrews 1, 14 says this. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The answer is absolutely yes. Yes. Hey, whose side are you on? Huh? Whose side are you on? If you're not on God's side, you better step out of the side that you're on and get back and get to God's side. Amen? Get to God's side because it pays to be on God's side. Verse 5. Verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Verse 6. Amazing verse. I love it. Here the angel says, He is, come on, not what? He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. I mean, how powerful is that? He is not here. Underline that, highlight that, circle that. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. And then the angel proves it. He says, come and see the place where he lay. Verse 7, I love this. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Man, that's awesome. And so what's the lesson? The lesson is this, right? Are you ready for this? Hey, Jesus is alive. That's the lesson. Jesus is alive. He's not dead. Jesus is alive. If you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. This is what our faith, this is what our hope is based on. This is it. It's the assurance, the assurance that Jesus has in fact risen from the dead, friends, just as he said he would. He died for the sin of the world. He has tasted death, but he rose in victory. And this is the amazing message of Easter Listen, the grave couldn't hold him, the ground couldn't keep him, and the devil couldn't defeat him. He rose triumphant over sin, over death, and over hell. He has risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is alive. Oh, I, could wish, I wish I could hear you say amen right now. Say amen. Friends, this is our hope. This is our assurance. He, Jesus Christ, has risen from the dead. He is, in fact, alive and well today. You see, all other religions, excuse me, all other religious leaders have died. Buddha died. Muhammad died. Confucius died. Every founder of every religion that has ever existed has died. However, say that, I love that. However, only one has risen from the dead. And you know what his name is? What's his name? Come on. What's his name? His name is what? Come on. His name is Jesus. And this is what sets Christianity apart from all other religions and belief systems in the world. He's alive. You see, Resurrection Sunday is God's great amen to Good Friday. That's the power of the resurrection. That's the power. Jesus Christ is alive. Listen now, he's the real deal. Say that. He's the real deal. There is no other but him. Say, there's no other. 
Come on, say there's no other. Say this, say there's no other way, there's no other truth, there's no other life. Say that, there's no other way, there's no other truth, there's no other life. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way. Come on, we know this, right? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So without him and apart from him, there is no way to the Father in heaven. Because he is the way, listen now, because Jesus is the way, he zeroes out every other way. And friends, listen now, and if you decide Jesus is not for you, God doesn't have a plan B. God, he doesn't have a plan B. There's no other way, no other truth, no other life. Say, there's no other name. Say that, there's no other name. Peter said in Acts 4.12, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Say, there's no other foundation. Say, there's no other foundation. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.11, we know this, right? 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is, who is it? Jesus Christ. Say, there's no other mediator. Say that, no other mediator. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is one, listen, one mediator, right? You got it? There's, there's no other mediator. There's, there's, there's no other mediator, and, and no other mediator is necessary. No other mediator is possible. Listen, friends, the whole gospel boils down to this truth. Because our sins have separated us from God, because the sin gap is eternally wide, we need a mediator to bring us back to God. We need someone from heaven who, who is himself eternal to bridge the gap for us. And Jesus, say Jesus, is the only one who could bridge that gap. And by his death, he paid for our sins and he bridged the gap that separates us from God. And by his resurrection, he proved he is the son of God. He's alive. There is no other. He has no competitors. He's a living and true God. And there is no one like him. There is no other mission accomplished. Someone say amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we can't thank you enough for loving us enough to send your one and only Son to, to come to this earth, to live, to die on a cross, Lord, and, and resurrect from the dead that we might have eternal life. Father, we celebrate the resurrection of your Son and because he lives, we live as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Someone please say amen. Listen, perhaps some of you out there who are listening, you've never trusted Jesus Christ to come into your life to be your personal Lord and Savior. And you're today you're saying, you know what, I feel something tugging at my heart. That's God's Spirit calling you to himself. And you're saying today, you know what, Pastor Arnold, I, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I, I want to follow him. 
Well, friends, if that's you, you need to admit that you're a sinner. You need to acknowledge that you need a substitute. And you need to accept, accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if that's you, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes and repeat this prayer after me. Would you do that? Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life. I, I invite you into my life to save me, to cleanse me, and to change me. And Lord, I confess with my mouth that, that you are Lord. And I believe within my heart that God raised you from the dead. I receive you this day. I am saved, sealed, sanctified, satisfied, justified, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am born again. Thank you, Jesus, for receiving me. From this day forth, I will serve you faithfully until you call me home. I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. Now, if you said that prayer, we would love to hear from you. Uh, you can email us at contact at cryout.org. Again, that's contact, contact at cryout.org. Okay, we'd love to hear from you. So, hey, listen, all, all of you, happy Resurrection Sunday. Jesus Christ is alive, alive and well today, and we celebrate that. May God bless your Sunday and the rest of your week, and we'll see you next week as we continue in our series, Undivided, from the book of 1 Corinthians. God bless you. Love you. Take care.